A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there and a very warm welcome to another edition of Fight of My Life with me, Russ Williams, and him over there, Spencer Oliver. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to be speaking to a former boxer about the defining fight of his career, the build-up, the story behind it, the aftermath, the lot. On today's show, we're speaking to this man. this morning the biggest boxing occasion ever staged in Europe one that really does justify the tag the fight of the century 40,000 fans have paid three million pounds for the pleasure of seeing Frank Bruno's bid to become the first British-born heavyweight champion of the world in 90 years this fight with Tim Witherspoon is assured of a television audience around the world of over 100 million I didn't know how big the fight was. He's a real good fighter, and he deserves credit that he deserves, so I give him seven rounds. I don't even think he's going to go that long if he's going to get cheeky and start talking about them. But I'm not going to get into a slagging match with Tim Witherspoon. He can say and do what he wants. We didn't have no special person to come in and tell us about what to eat. 15 stone 11, I was told, would be a really serious fighting weight for him. Instead of that, he's almost a stone heavier. I felt that I was going to be rich. I felt that I was going to have a lot of money, and it turned out that it didn't happen. Trouble Tim Witherspoon in this life will be Sir Lancelot, and he will be defending the crown, and he will do it in magnificent style and stature with dignity, sophistication, and he will vanquish his opponent. Oh, both landed their best shots together there, and it's Bruno who was hurt. I was ready to go. I wasn't scared. And no fright was in my eyes or nothing. I was ready to fight Frank Bruno. Well, Spencer, before we hear from terrible Tim Witherspoon, what fight are we going to be talking to Tim about on Fight of My Life? And how do you sum up Tim as a fighter? Well, Russ, we're going to be talking about Tim Witherspoon versus our very own Frank Bruno. Witherspoon was having his fifth world title fight and Frank Bruno was boxing for the world title for the first time. Frank would have home advantage, but Witherspoon had experience at this level and this would prove to be a major factor in this fight. At the old Wembley Spencer, it was the biggest boxing crowd ever, over 40,000 fans, and the very first world title fight to be held at that famous old stadium. And I'm delighted to say, joining us on TalkSport on Fight of My Life, it's terrible Tim Witherspoon. Tim, great to have you with us. I'm happy to be on your show, and I'm really happy to see another former boxer active, which we don't have a lot of around the world in the boxing industry. You got Spencer Oliver, my old buddy, who I used to come over and did a lot of things with over in, in England. They just don't have enough boxers when they retire doing enough for boxing. So this is beautiful. Well, listen, um, Tim, let's start at the very beginning of this extraordinary fight and journey to the UK for you. How did the fight against Frank Bruno come about? And do you remember where you were when you actually found out that the fight was confirmed? Oh, no, okay. I was in Don King's camp training. They came up to me. Carl King came up to me, his son, and said, Tim, I think we're fighting Frank Bruno. I said, Frank Bruno? And I was like, wow, that's great. And he said to me, I'm going to see, I'm going to ask my father what we're going to get. We had a conversation. We was talking. And then he said, yeah, I'm going to ask my father how much we're getting. Now, that's my manager, and he has to ask his father, his promoter, the promoter, how much we're getting. He said, oh, I know we're going to get paid real good. 
So I was like, okay, let me know, let me know. And that's how everything began with the fight. And a lot of the people in the training camp, there's a lot of other ex-boxers there. David Bay, Alfonso Ratliff, Azuma Nelson was there. A lot of other boxers, they were in the camp. So uh, I was happy when they uh, offered me the fight. Tim, it was the first defense of the title that you was making after beating Tony TNT Tubbs over 15 rounds. Did you feel the pressure going into this one as the champion? No, I didn't feel the pressure because this is something I always wanted to do. I wanted to go into a big crowd, a big stadium somewhere and defend my title or do a real good job. And as um, soon as they told me that we were having a fight, I was like happy. I was like, oh, we're going to fight Frank Bruno. Oh, that's cool. Let's get it on. We started training the same day that they told us about the fight. I started training and everything. I was really happy about the fight. But I didn't know all the things that was involved in it until we landed in England. Tell us about your camp, Tim. You were being described by quite a few people as being overweight going into this fight. But he claimed he'd been in camp in Ohio, solid for months, and didn't need to exert himself here. But uh, I don't know, maybe the way he's going, he could eat himself out of being champion, putting on weight like that. Did you have a specific diet that you were following or perhaps a diet that you weren't following? No, well, we didn't have no special person to come in and tell us about what to eat like a lot of other boxers did. We just had a, a really nice cook. We called him Chef Early, and he would cook for us. He didn't ever watch our diets or anything. We didn't have a program. We were on our own, kind of like they needed it. So, you know, we would get up, we would go run, and then we would uh, have breakfast. And then directly after breakfast, we would go chop wood. We'd go out into the woods and chop wood. Then we would come back, rest up, and then go to the gym, which is only a couple of yards away from the kitchen. I never had no one to really try to help me with dieting and everything. Um, we just trained real hard and, and just ate, what, ate, not ate what we wanted, but we just we ate real good, and that was it. Hang on a sec, Tim. You're saying that you didn't think you were overweight going into this fight? Well, before we left America, I was lighter than I was when I came over. So when we land into, into the UK, I didn't know how big the fight was. I may be jumping too far on this interview, but I didn't know how much I was getting. I knew it was a fight against Frank Bruno. I didn't know there was going to be a whole bunch of women at the airport, people with cameras flashing. I didn't know it was going to be like that. It was a really big event. And, um... That's when I started in my mind thinking about certain things business-wise and stuff. I said, whoa, all these people at the airport, they escorted us through the airport and all that. So that's when I realized it was a really big fight. They wasn't projecting it like a real big fight in America, like Don King or Carl. They just said, oh, we fighting Frank Bruno, but they didn't say all the other things that was going along with it. Tell us about your training camp. Who was in your training camp and who was you sparring at that time? I sparred with Alfonso Ratliff, Clinton Barnes. These are like sparring partners. Uh, and Clinton was a, a young up-and-coming guy. He was from my neighborhood, and he, he always went everywhere with me. I'm trying to remember. There was guys from Ohio that Don King had, sparring partners that Don King had, heavyweights. He has had basic sparring partners there, um, sure. and um, we would just spar every day. I mean, Tim, you had previously sparred. Muhammad Ali, is that right? You actually shared the ring with Muhammad Ali. What was that like? What was that experience like? Oh, that was beautiful. I think when we came into England, he, I think I sparred with him one round. I know I sparred with him before the Larry Holmes fight, but I didn't have that many fights yet. But sparring with Muhammad Ali was the greatest asset to me. Just coming out of nowhere, leaving university, going into amateurs, only had seven amateur fights, then straight to Muhammad Ali. Who can ask for something like that? It was just new stuff to me, and it was really great. And, and, and he paid attention to me. He was, like, talking to me a lot when I first started sparring with him. Uh, he knew I was from Philly. He had a lot of people affiliated with him from Philly. He took on to me really cool, but he was cool with everybody. Uh, he didn't designate a friend that I could see, like the boxers and stuff, but he was cool with everybody, and... I guess everybody felt he was uh, directly cool with them, but I I just was um, uh, happy to be around them and, and learning things from them. It was really great, man. I'm still dreaming. Wow, I've had a chance to be with Muhammad Ali, fly over to Indonesia with him. There was a couple of times I was with him. Before Tony Tubbs fight, he sparred with me too.
I sparred with him, rather. Did he teach you a lot, Tim? What was he like as a person to spar? What was he like as an individual? Was he a guy that let you know that he was the main man or did he sort of like nurse you along and teach you the ropes and, and teach you, you know, how to become world champion? Good question, good question. This is what I'm gonna say about Muhammad. He had natural skills. I was expecting him to teach me and show me some stuff and like whip up on me, you know, let me know that I should be doing this and doing that. I'm gonna tell you, I was expecting him to put a whipping on all the sparring partners, not like he wanted to hurt us, but let us know he's the champ. But he was sick. We had several sparring partners. We were sparring in Muhammad Ali's training camp. When camp broke down, we all flew to Vegas. But during the camp, I was sensing something's wrong. I had an intelligent trainer, Slim Jim Robinson, who was always into everybody's business, and he would say to me, Tim, something's wrong. He said, something's wrong. Muhammad can't, he can't put out. And something's wrong with him. I don't know what it is. And I said, yeah, Slim, I just don't, I'm thinking, I'm waiting for him to beat up on me or try to show me some tricks, and he never showed me. So when we went to Vegas, we flew to Vegas, the sparring partners and the trainers and other people, various other peoples, were in the Dunes Hotel, and Muhammad Ali was in Caesars. So I was tired. I was young. I was tired. I just wanted to go home. You know, all the lights and cameras. I wasn't really used to that. And I was like, man, I want to get out of here. So I went over to uh, Caesar's Palace to try to get my ticket to get out of uh, Vegas. Howard Bingham was the person in charge of the flights. That was Muhammad Ali's, uh, you know, man you go to if you want something. So on my way to Howard Bingham's room, there was a door open. Nobody knows this. Nobody knows. I told, I told a lot of people, but it hasn't really got out. Larry Holmes had one floor. Ollie had the other floor. So I'm walking down the hall, and I heard them in there arguing. And so I said, whoa, somebody fighting. So I was by myself. So I kept walking, and I heard them in there saying, oh, he shouldn't be fighting. He shouldn't be fighting. He's sick. There was about 10 people in the room. My trainer, Angelo Dundee. Drew Bundini, Ali was sitting on the bed. As clear as day, I remember this. Ali was sitting on the bed. There was other people in there. They was arguing about whether he should fight or not. And I stopped. I said, oh, my goodness. Ali might not fight. So I stood there for like another three, four minutes, and he was arguing. No, no, he shouldn't fight. He's dehydrated. You know, this and that. So I said, oh, man. So I walked down the hallway. This is a true story. I walked down the hallway about five rooms down where Bingham was. I knocked on his door. They were tired. They were worn out. It was a big fight, and they were tired. They were worn down, so they'd start. His wife started talking to me not really in a nice way. I knocked on the door. I said, look, I just want to get out of here. Please, can you tell Howard to get me a ticket so I can get out of here? I just don't want to. The average guy would have stayed. All them women, all the stuff. I just wanted to go home. I was young. You know, and I just came in it. So I was arguing with her, and then he came to the door. Howard Bingham came to the door and said, Tim, Tim, we're going to take care of it. You don't worry. Don't worry. Take care of it, right? But he acted like he looked like he was. He didn't really care. He was just trying to go get some rest. So I left. They closed the door, and I left. So I started walking down the hallway back towards the room. They were still arguing back and forth, back and forth. And I stood there again for like five minutes. I was like, oh, my goodness. The fight might not go off. A lot of people don't know this. So I was like, oh, my goodness. And Ali just was sitting on the bed, like not like a little kid, but just sitting there let, watching them arguing back and forth. So then I knocked on Abdul Rahman's door. I knocked on his door and said, look, could you make sure Bingham get my ticket and stuff? He, he directly got out there and went down there. So I don't know what happened after that, but Abdul Rahman was his, his, his uh, security. So he went down and took care. But... When they kept on arguing, I went over back over to the dunes. I told all the smart partners, I said, yo, the fight might not go off. The fight, like they're arguing about Ali's sick and he's deteriorated. He's got all this and that. And people was like, oh, all the boxers, they was like, oh, man, that's cool. So I went into my room. But that experience that I experienced, I experienced it. Nobody never interviewed me. But the fight did go on. And after the first round, I knew that he was going to win. Who was he fighting? Tim. Yeah, that happened. Ali was sick when he fought Holmes. He was sick. After the first bell rang, I knew he wasn't going to win. When Larry Holmes jumped on him, I said, wow, something was really wrong with him. And he was sick. He should have never fought. I think that there was people that wanted to get money. 
if he fight, and I think there was people that really cared about him. They didn't care about the money, and they didn't, didn't want him to fight, but he fought anyway. And if you guys watch the video, you'll see after the first round it was over. Tim, what an experience to be in and around, let alone sparring with Muhammad Ali. And, of course, for this fight against Frank Bruno in July of 1986, this title fight, Muhammad Ali was in the UK to support you. He'd had a famous fight against Britain's Henry Cooper and they reunited and sort of uh, shadow boxed a little bit just before you and Frank Bruno came out. To the delight, it has to be said, of the 40,000 fans in Wembley Stadium that were waiting for this fight, you against Frank Bruno, you were traveling into the lion's den for this one. How did it affect you that? and? Did you feel that perhaps you would definitely need a stoppage to secure the win? That was one of my biggest fights, really. And you really could say that was my really my biggest fight, bigger than Larry Holmes. Because of the, the things surrounding the fight, there was a lot of people. There was supposed to be a lot of money involved. Uh, it was a big fight in England. That was a bigger fight to me than Larry Holmes. Coming over there to all that, I just was ready. I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared. I grew up with a lot of people that was rough. This was my dream, and my dream came true. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Bennett, Mickey Duff, Don King, and Butch Lewis welcome you to Wembley for the main event of the evening. And this is a contest of 15 rounds to decide the heavyweight championship of the world. Presenting from Philadelphia, the champion, Tim Willison. And from West Ham, London, the It's Fight of My Life on Talk Sports. Spencer Oliver and me, Russ Williams, in the company of the great American boxer and former world champion Tim Witherspoon, looking back on the 19th of July, 1986, in front of the biggest boxing crowd ever in the UK at the old Wembley Stadium. It was Tim Witherspoon, the champ, against Frank Bruno, who wanted his belt. Tim, you wake up on the day of the fight. Do you remember how you were feeling? Was it the usual fight day feeling? No. For some reason, I felt good. I felt ready to go. And you know what drove me to? I felt that I was going to be rich. I thought that I was going to have a lot of money. I thought that after this fight, I was going to really be successful, you know. And it turned out that it didn't happen. Money didn't drive me. It was the people that supported me. Don King really offered me to fight and just everything around it. Here I am in my dream and it's going to come true. I was trying out for American football. I was doing really good. I made all Philadelphia. I had a scholarship. I was a tight end. I figured I was going to go to football, American football team and be like in the Super Bowl, something like that. But I wound up being a heavyweight champion of the world. So I was ready to go full steam ahead. And I wasn't scared or nothing. I wasn't, I was maybe was a little nervous, but I was happy. I'm going in the ring, all these people screaming. And, and I, I don't know what did it. I, I walked in and you see me coming out to the ring. I was ready to go. I wasn't scared. And no fright was in my eyes or nothing. I was ready to fight Frank Bruno. Tim, what was your initial thought when you first saw Wembley Stadium. Did you realize the size of the task ahead when you first saw the stadium and, and how big it was? I just didn't care, Spencer. I just didn't care. And it was 65,000 people. You saying 40, but it was 65,000. They even said it could have been more than that. When it came time to get paid, they undercut the size of the crowd now, you just said 40,000, but I never heard mm. that's the first time in my boxing that was, career. That was the official attendance, Tim, 40,000. Well, Are told you saying you were, told, you were told different? Yeah, 65,000. Tim, you get into the dressing rooms. What's going through your head once you get into those dressing rooms, when you're getting your hands wrapped? What's, what's the general feeling then? What was the atmosphere like? It was something I never 
experience. It made me feel positive. I said, wow, I'm getting made, you know, they're making big deal over, over me. Even though I did, yeah, I'm champ of the world, but I'm actually getting treated like the champ now. We got a big, lot of people in the stadiums. I might have a lot of money afterwards. Everybody's going to be happy if I win. That was in my mind. I said, man, I'm going out there. I'm going to try to knock Frank Bruno out. I was thinking about my family home, my friends back home watching the fight. I had to show up. For that fight, for some reason, I was ready to go into war. I wasn't nervous. I didn't have that no nervous feelings or anything. I just wanted to get out there in front of all those people and let them know that I'm worth it. Well, you went into the fight as a champion. You've established for us in the audience that you were very confident. You thought you were going to win the fight. You certainly weren't frightened. You've done the ring walk. You get your first real glimpse of the sea of British support in Wembley Stadium, however many fans were in there. And off we go with the fight. Round one, the bell goes. You take up the centre of the ring. Bruno, Bruno, rings around Wembley. Were you aware of all those fans around you, Tim? Could you hear them? Yeah, that gave me energy. I was like, that's cool, they screaming, they shouting for him. That made me want to fight even harder. I was like, wow, that's cool, come on. I like this, this is where I want to be. This is what I worked for. This is where I want to be. And I was like, that gave me energy. When I heard them saying, Bruno, I was like, okay. But you know what gave me a lot of confidence also? My trainer, Slim Jim Robinson, I only could get hit if I let somebody hit me. That was like one of my mottos. Sometimes I I just kept my hands low. I knew that I, I could block certain shots and I got lazy. He caught me with some shots. And if you see some of my fights, I look a little sloppy sometimes because look, look how good I can talk. I could talk pretty good and, and I could walk. I can communicate with everybody. I had a good defense. So that's one thing that gave me a lot of confidence going into the Bruno fight. And plus, we did research, what Slim did, and he found out that Frank Bruno had an injury somewhere up near his shoulder, and there's a muscle sticking out his left side, and he can't really use that. And he can't lift his hands up. This is what my trainer told me. Somebody told him, Slim said that somebody told him that when you see him lift his arms up, you'll see something stick out on his left side. So Slim, I forgot the uh, attack he told me to do, he said, yeah, you see that popping up? We was watching his videos. He has an injury, and I don't think that he could throw his left hook or something like that. You know, he told me to keep my hands up. So I don't know if you guys know or if you knew if he had an injury, but when you look at the video, you'll see a bone sticking up in the middle, in the, the left side near his uh, shoulder. You'll see something sticking out, and you can see it. As soon as he put his arms up, you'll see something sticking out. My, that's what my trainer said. Well, it was an incredibly quick start by both of you guys in round one, Tim. We get into round two and Bruno comes out fast again. He's throwing shots to the head, shots to the body. I'm very surprised and pleased too for Bruno that he's fighting inside like that, Jim, fighting well. Yeah, this is a good start for Bruno. He might look like a, a bit of a podgy man there with a spoon, but I tell you, he really is durable. You're looking for that looping right hand over the top. Was that part of the game plan? Well, this was part of the plan. A lot of people in England were saying that he can't take a punch. My plan was, we had a plan. It had something to do with that muscle and a lot of everything. The muscle thing wasn't really important, but my plan was to hit him. But Slim told me, because he, he does have longer arms than me, Frank Bruno, was to try to work hard, get inside, keep your D up, jab him and stuff like that. But then I, I, I left the plan. I said, everybody's saying he can't take a punch. I'm going to hit him on that chin hard. But I found out that he can take a punch because I was hitting him on it. And I was saying, wow. So I went back to the plan we had, keep my jab moving, get inside, and still try to hit him with the overhand right or bring an uppercut underneath when you get, once you get inside. But he did pretty good. He took the punches that I threw. I was like... Whoa, these guys saying he can I hit him with a good shot that time. I'm in the ring saying, whoa, I'm going to have to change my plan. Because if you look in the fight, I was trying to just hit him with that shot. I was trying to hit him with that overhand right or one shot just to hurt him and then take him out. Take my time and take him out. But it didn't work. Well, we get into round three. And you land a big left hook, then a right hand. Well, he took a left hook there and he's taken it well, Bruno, too. That was quite a hefty swing, Jim. Yeah, Bruno has taken a few shots, even in the first round. 
Bruno comes straight back at you, puts you on the ropes, and he's throwing lots of combinations. Was you surprised at the pace of this fight and, and the confidence of Frank Bruno? I anticipated a hard fight. I figured that he was going to just come at me, yeah, do whatever he can do to, to win the fight. But I did see a lot of skills lacking. Defense, I did see a lot of that. Whereas though, I, you know, I would keep my hands up and everything. He had a lot on his shoulder. He was more nervous than I was because he had so much stacked up on his side. That was his first time fighting for the title. He was really in a, a situation where I think he was more nervous than me. And I came from another country with my title to fight him. So I think he was had more to lose than I did. He had everybody behind him. I came over to his country, and I think it was worse on him. But for me, I just wanted to retain the heavyweight championship of the world and take the belt back home and show everybody I'm a true champion. But Frank, to me, was strong. He had a good jab, but he lacked other skills. He had basic skills like jab, right hand. He did hit me in the back of the head several times. I had a concussion after the fight. I know for a fact our skills were better than his. My defense was better than his. In round four, Frank Brune, obviously, he wanted to be world champion. He wanted your belt. You were determined you were going to keep your WBA world heavyweight champion belt. But Bruno kept up this really high pace and he was pushing you back a bit. Did you think for a moment, I don't want to put thoughts into your head, that Frank Bruno maybe was punching himself out? Just don't want to see him punch himself out, eh? That wasn't even in my mind through the whole fight. I wasn't waiting for him to punch himself out. No, I wasn't doing that. But my trainer was. I was trying to fight. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about that. Everything left when the bell rung. But my trainer was saying, Tim, after a certain amount of rounds, he said he's going to get tired. He hasn't really been down, you know, home stretch. That's when we're going to get him. He said, yeah, we in the beginning, let's fight a smart fight. But when they get down the end, the experiment should come in. Our goal was to just hit him on his chin and everything. And um, it didn't work earlier, but in, near the end, it did. Coming up on Fights of My Life on Talk Sport. Debbie King called me and said, Tim, you got 95000 I said, what? She said, you got 95000 I said, oh, wait a minute. I started cussing. What the f***? 95000 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. See much more of a lack of days if you're uh, Tim with his brain. Yeah, he's a fighter who, like Frank Bruno, his best weapon is his right hand, and it has not been very impressive tonight. There was a good right hand by Willie Spoon. And again. And there's a left hand by Willie Spoon. And another right, and Bruno backs up 
and for the first time, appears to have been hurt. Talk sport, the fight of my life. Spencer Oliver and me, Ross Williams here. What an addition this week. It is Frank Bruno's fight against Tim Witherspoon. He was the world champ, came over from the States, and Big Frank was desperate for a world title. Over 40,000 fans were there at the old Wembley Stadium. You've heard the first four rounds. Now we get into round five. It was a quieter round, so I'll let Spencer take over at round six. Yeah, Tim, we get into round six. Bruno's working well behind the jab and probably takes that round. Tim, you probably realise at this stage you're starting to fall behind on the scorecards. And in round seven, you really spark to life. You land a big right hand and then follow it up. And for the first time in the fight, Frank Bruno looks like he's in trouble. Did you feel at this stage it was the turning point? Not until after we viewed the videos after the fight. But during the fight, I did feel a little, just a little change. I felt it turning. I felt myself landing more shots, him making a little bit more mistakes. Then I started thinking about my trainer when he said, after a certain amount of rounds, he's going to get a little tired. He started slowing down a little bit. I was picking it up. And then you see the results. After like the sixth round, I started picking it up. It gave me a little lift knowing that he slowed down a little bit. He did slow down like my trainer anticipated. Did it give you confidence knowing that you could hurt Frank like you did in that seventh round with that big right hand? I had confidence through the whole fight. I just thought this was the time. I started thinking in my head, this is this is it. I felt the decline and I started pushing it. What a right hand that is as we come up for the bell. And he still didn't make any difference and he just turns away and looks at the spoon as if to say, well, you've hurt me but I'm not going over. We get into the eighth round, Tim, and you're starting to push Bruno back for the first time in the fight, and Bruno's starting to look vulnerable. We get into round nine, and you land a good right hand again, followed by a left hook, and Bruno looks really hurt. Oh, that right hand really well above the commentary position here. But he absorbed it well, Bruno. Then he comes back, and the crowd erupts. Were you surprised by the support that Frank had in there, and was you surprised that Frank was still coming back at you at this stage? I wasn't surprised because um, now after the fight, when I really look back and see things, that's what he had to do. When you look back, I'm thinking, you know what? During those times that you're talking about right now, he had to do something. This was his chance. Everybody was talking about this about him, that about him. It was so many different opinions over there, but they supported him when he got in that ring. He didn't want to let the English people down. And that's what gave him that extra push. Just like me, I wanted to go home defending my championship in somebody else's backyard, and that was my dream, and it happened. But Frank was in and out after a certain amount of rounds. He was in and out. He would do a little bit good, then he would slow down. He would do a little bit good. And when more the rounds went, the less he did. I noticed that. Oh, you're not wrong. And British boxing fans also, Tim, know a really good champion when they see one. So they would have recognised early on in the fight that you knew exactly what you were doing and you were there to win. Round 10, Frank Bruno lands a really big right to the back of your head. You can probably still feel it now. The crowd go absolutely mad. You are complaining to the referee. And then you begin to trade punches again. And Witherspoon fighting back, but fighting back very wildly, very much out of control. Did that punch to the back of the head rattle you? Yeah, it did. I seen like blue. I seen blue. He hit me in the back of the head. I went down like a little bit so I could play to the referee. I stumbled a little bit. Then I came back throwing at him. I was like, if he can't do something, I'm going to do it. That type of feeling. I know what you're talking about. He hit me in the back of the head. And then when they separated us, I just kept through a whole bunch of punches. And then I complained after the fight that he hit me in the back of the head. But then I found out that that's frequently done in, over there in Europe and England. The referees don't really care about that too much. They hit you in the back of the head like that. I don't do hitting in the back of the head. It's bad. You can get damaged that way. I've been over there a lot, and everywhere I go, they do it a lot. They don't do that over here. So I was upset with the referee because he, he let him do that. He was doing it. He did it a couple of times. I didn't complain. But then he clearly did that. If I can influence the referee 
uh, certain ways. I was just telling them certain things, see if maybe he might go for it. I tried to influence the referee about certain things he was doing, see if he maybe take a point or just keep telling Bruno, hey, stop this and that, but he wouldn't do that. We get into round 11. The fight is now incredibly hard. Both of you guys have been trading and Frank Bruno lands a big left hook and your eye starts to close. Oh, a good left hook there by Bruno. That's uh, the first time I've seen where this been visibly shaped there. Then, out of nowhere, you amazingly, simultaneously, both land right hands, but Frank Bruno comes off worse. And both men scored heavily. Witherspoon scored better, and Bruno is in a heap of trouble here. Bruno's yeah. in trouble. You follow it up by three big right hands, and Frank Bruno goes down. Oh, on the top of the head, the left hook. He's starting to go to pieces in the corner, and he's breaking up a bit now. And he's hitting him on. He's down. He's got to get him up. And the towel has come in from Terry Lawless's corner. Well, you know, when we exchanged that punch, those punches, I hit him on the, the side of the temple or the chin side. And then it appeared that he was hurt because I couldn't really tell. And that's when I jumped on him because we both missed each other twice. I missed him. He missed me. I missed him. He missed me. Then I caught him. Boom. His right hand was getting ready to hit me, but I caught him first. So that's when I, I seen him stumbling. I said, wow. Maybe I threw that punch perfectly later on. I thought about this. Maybe I threw that punch perfectly, but it didn't seem like it. I accurately hit him maybe on the temple. When I seen him stumble a little bit, that's when I jumped right on him. I said, this is my opportunity. I put the pressure on him. Seemed like some energy came when he, when, when he was hurt. I put the pressure on him. I hit him with a couple of right hands. Then he went down. My energy made me throw a couple of more right hands. When Bruno went down in that corner, you could clearly see that he had nothing left. The towel comes in, and you've successfully made your first defence of the WBO title. Yeah. How did that feel, Tim, in front of all those thousands of British fans? Wow, that 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 was it was a good feeling. I'm, my dream came true. My dream came true, and all during that fight, I was thinking about the money. And there's something I'm fighting in the fight, and I'm thinking about well being ripped off being ripped off. I had to fight that fight with that in the back of my mind. I think I did a good job, but I, I did think I was going to be wealthy, but I didn't know I was going to go home with 95,000. I know we're going to talk about it, but... Tim, what, what, what you said you went home with 95,000. What were you told the yeah. purse was going to be for this fight? They never told me. What, you I agreed to was, defend your world title in a foreign country and you didn't know what the person was going to be? No, this is what happened. I figured that Don King would treat me better than before. I figured, you know, we going over there, there's a whole lot of money involved. I figured if he give me 800000 I'll be all right. I wouldn't argue 800000 The purse was 500000 He took two fifty. he came out to Carl King. Then, when he had a, a trial in America, he flew the whole jewelry over and took that out of my money. He took the training expenses. He took that out of my money. And this is when I found out that something was fishy. We stayed in England for a couple of days. Then he sent everybody else home but me and my kid's mom. And I thought, something wrong here. So I was telling everybody, look, I'm going to pay you when I get home because everybody needed money. And um, I said, look, man, I'm going to pay you when I get home. I knew something was funny. We stayed in London for like two days, and then we flew home. Debbie King called me and said, Tim, you got 95000 I said, what? She said, you got 95000 I said, oh, wait a minute. I started cussing. What the f***? 95000 95, And then she broke it down. She said, well, Carl gets two fifty. He gets half. And then we had all these expenses. So I started cussing. I said, yo, get your dad on the phone. I said, tell him to call me. I hung up. I said, get him on the phone. So he called me. Don King called me. He said, hey, Timmy. I answered the phone. How you doing? He said, hey, Timmy. I said, Don, what is this 500000 and all these expenses? He said, well, Timmy, Carl gets half. Carl gets his half. That's two two fifty. I had all these expenses. And this is what, this is what, so I started cussing. I said, what the F, and he said, Bill, man, this is the way, this is, was your money? This is what you got. I hung the phone up on him. 
Tim, did you get the $95,000 or, or did you uh, do something else about it? Because, you know, you've, you've laid out no. what you absolutely think happened. I suppose Don King and, and the other people involved may have a different view, but we're talking to you, Tim Witherspoon, world champion. Did you get that money? I got the 95000 You know, it was 125 and then I paid everybody. I went home with ninety five. I think I winded up with 70000 by the time I got to Philly. Tim, can I ask you a question? Why did Cole take half of your money? Well, Carl's not taking it. Don did. Carl, I've been going to that training camp for three, four years. Carl does not call the shots. Every time there's a fight, he'll say, oh, I got to ask my dad how much we getting. And I knew it was awkward. I knew it was wrong, but we had to play the game. In order to stay in the game, we had to do that. So that's why I didn't question him about when we first went over, Carl King said, we're going to get paid real good. He never told me a number. He never told me a number. So I'm speculating, man, if he give me 800000 I won't argue the point. And then everybody, yo, Tim, you're going to be rich after this fight. You're going to be rich. And I'm like, yeah, I'm up there thinking I am. Hopefully he'll give yeah. me a million. But he wound up well, only giving me... Uh, 125,000. Tim, just to take you back into the ring at the end of the fight, obviously you're euphoric. You've retained your title. What did you say to Frank Bruno? Did you have any words of commiseration or advice for him? I think after the fight, I, you know what? That's why I love Frank Bruno. That's why I love him. He called me. He called me and congratulated me. He called me after all that the next day, I picked the phone up, and it was Frank Bruno on the phone. That's why I love that guy now. And I've been coming over there for about like 15 years I've been coming over there. Frank Bruno congratulated me. I wish he would have known me before the fight because all the things he was saying to me wasn't true. I love my kids. I love my kids. I love my children. Right now, I don't have no girlfriend. My thing is, is set on my little daughter. And I help my kids, women, and partying to come later. Even though I do, I do, I need, <laughs> I need to go out and have a little bit of fun. But that's what's important to me. And when he said that, he called me up. I didn't know he called me up, and I was like, "Thanks, champ. Thank you, man." And so I've been his friend ever since that. But before the fight, he had said Tim is a guy to go out and party with the girls and all that. If you watch the video of me and him, the pre-fight stuff. Everybody in England thought I'm a flamboyant, run out into the disco, grab a girl, and take her to the uh, hotel. Oh, no, I'm a family man. So far, Bruno was some way behind on points, but as the contest wore on, he finally came up with a big punch. Larry Holmes said to him one day, whatever he does in his lifestyle, his lifestyle stinks, and it still stinks. He's a champion, I respect him, but his attitude stinks. He was wrong, somebody told him a lie. I wasn't the type of guy to go out and party and go out and drink myself almost to death and all that kind of thing. I wasn't that. I stayed home with the kids. I barely went out. I, I did used to go out long, you know, long time ago, but I didn't, even when I was young, I didn't stay out that much. I didn't go out and party, drink and fight. I never did that stuff. So when he said that, that was wrong. And that made me mad before the fight. I've got money. I watched films of him and he knocking everybody out. And I did not take him lightly. I trained hard. Were you concerned about I can about come that? back. I'm a great champion. I'm never, I'm never going to quit. I'm a Capricorn like Ali, Frazier, all the great fighters, and I'm not going to quit. I've got my money. I thought Bruno fought one hell of a fight. I thought he was very good. He proved himself worthy. He did England proud. And I would like to see Bruno fight again. And I'm just very happy to see such a great event and to see the millions of fans that are seen around the world and the great fans here in Wembley Stadium. It's been wonderful here in England. I'm certainly going to come back. In my life on Talksport, Russ Williams here, Spencer Oliver over there. We're in the company of Tim Witherspoon, who's just beaten Frank Bruno at Wembley and retained his WBA World Heavyweight title. Not without some difficulty on being paid, as he's explained to us. He did finally get some money. You had an extraordinary 42 fights after the Bruno fight before you decided that's it, I'm not going to do this anymore. How did you know it was the right time? 42 fights after the Bruno, huh? That's a lot of fights. 
this was the thing. Politics is in this game. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of love. We have to measure each and every one of those actions. After the Bruno fight, I was really happy. I want to retain my title and keep on going and keep on going. Then I won the title. Then I lost the, yeah, I lost the Pinkman Thomas. It was all political. I was telling people that I'm getting ripped off after the Bruno fight. That gave me a lot of energy and wanted me to fight back. I started exposing everything that was going on. I went over there and did this and did a good performance and only went home. People were shocked, jaw dropping that I got that amount of money. So his interest was in Mike Tyson too during this time. Don King pulled all the heavyweights. We was in training. Then the limo pulled up into the training camp in Orwell, Ohio. It was Don King. So he got out the car and everybody stopped. He told everybody to come over to the heavyweights. He said, y'all guys better get in real good shape because there's this young guy named Mike Tyson that's coming out and you're gonna have to be in shape. This kid is really tough and you're gonna get good paydays. So this was Don King plan. So, but he was telling us to get in shape. So after the Bruno fight, I lost the title to Pinkman Thomas. A lot of heavyweights was arguing and fighting. I kept my mouth closed. I got the shot with Tony Tubbs and I won the title. But during all this, we knew that, and all the heavyweights knew, that Don King didn't care about none of the heavyweights. He cared about Mike Tyson. You've spoken a lot about Don King, and you obviously have a great deal of experience yeah. of Don King. Be honest, what was it like working with him? Well, I know that Don King disrespected or stood up to a lot of his boxers that didn't fulfill their dream or didn't live up to the level that where he signed them up to. And he respected the ones that fought, that got in there for it. I seen him uh, really cuss out, uh, swearing out a couple of boxers that didn't fight like he wanted them to fight. I would actually get in there and fight. And he liked that. He, he don't want nobody to quit. But I didn't do it because of him. I fought because I, I wanted to fight and being in the sport of the boxing and be a celebrity. You know, I wanted to just get up there too. Where I come from, we had to represent. And I wasn't going to back off. I came from Philly. I was born and raised three blocks from where Rocky, the Italian market. I, I was representing the, um, a great city. I just wanted to be victorious. The last time I seen him was in Las Vegas. I was in the corner with this Irish boxer. He was getting ripped off. And the reason why I was there was to support him. I was going to stand in Don King's face and say, would you ripping this guy? Oh, he got lawyers and everything. I was standing in his corners. The kid lost his fight. And after the fight, Don King came, walked over to me. He knew I was there in the other guy's corner. Like, in his corner, like, like you better not be ripping him off. We're going to let everybody know. He came over to me and, and gave me a hug and said, I love you. I told him I love him back. I turned around and walked away and I said, I just said I love him. I really didn't dislike him. I just didn't like the things he did. Don't you know that I felt like something just left my body? I said, now I can go on with my life. I can take care of my kids. I can go have fun. I was always saying, Don King, nobody helped us. We up there fighting this man, and none of the people with money, none of the promoters, none of the officials, nobody would help us. I just felt relieved. I can go with my family. But I'm not going around saying Don King all the time. I'm tired of it. Let's get a union. Let's get the boxers together. We're the only sport that doesn't have, a, have support. It wouldn't have happened if we, if, if we had support. We really don't have support. And the guys making all that money, they should be the first one talking. Floyd Mayweather. All those guys making the money. If I had 400 million, I'd take 5 million or 2 million, 3 million just to start a union. So everybody could get taken care of. What's the matter with these guys? You'll be famous if you start the union. Just put 5 million up. And make a deal with the government so they can, can take care of the boxers. What's wrong with these guys? Tim, after conquering Wembley, you actually spent a lot of time over here. And, and you've got an English daughter as well, haven't you? I mean, do you like it over here? Do you like spending time here? Oh, yeah. The pe to me, the people, you know, it's really nice. You know, I got a grandson in Barnsley, too. His name is Oliver Charles. He's with, <laughs> what's the name of that group? He Tim, him and Tim. James Ward. Tim, my name's Charles Oliver. Dead. I know. Yeah, we, no, we, I'm we, saying it's we, we mad. Oliver Charles together. and Charles Oliver. Wow, it's crazy. Oh, that's right. That's wait a minute. Your name is Oliver Charles Oliver, right? That's right. That's right. 
my my <laughs> father's name is Charles, so my son named him Oliver Charles. There you go. Yeah, wow. that's my You're nephew. That's my a grandson. I knew name. there was a connection there Barnsley. somewhere. Yeah, mm. but I love it over there. I was in Sheffield with uh with uh, uh Clinton Woods and Dennis Hobson. I was over there with them. It seems like everybody does a little negative stuff, man. To to we try to help him, and um he fired us after Clinton won the championship. He fired me and the people that helped him get to the championship, and then he was in the corners. That's why you don't see me in the corner with him. He got rid of me after we won the title, and then he started getting in the corner. I was with a lot of the gypsy guys, man. They're pretty cool. Hey, that's my second home. If I was if I was to live somewhere else, it would be there. I love it over there. Tim, last question from Spencer and myself. If you could change anything that you've done in your career, what would it be? Not a daggone thing. Well, the finances and stuff, you know, the stuff that happened with me and it, the promoter, Don King, everything else has been really cool. You got to go ups and downs. But I would keep it the same because all the people that I met, I can't believe it. I was heavyweight champ of the world twice. I'm not changing that. The money is not really not important. I would say, yeah, I wish I would have had more money. We could change that. No, I like to struggle. I don't have that much money now, but I like to fight back. I don't want to hurt nobody. I just want to be friends with everybody. I want love. I don't want no hate. So even though things are bad now, I wouldn't change it. Tim, you're a hero to so many boxing fans all over the world, particularly in the UK and the United States of America. We can't thank you enough for sparing the time from Philadelphia to be with us and talk about that unbelievable night for you at Wembley Stadium. The old Wembley, it doesn't exist anymore, that stadium. So you are part of that illustrious history when you retained your world WBA heavyweight championship against our very own Frank Bruno, TKO in round 11. We'd like to thank you so much for being on Fight of My Life on TalkSport. We've uh, had a lot of fun talking to you and we've learned a lot as well. This has been Fight of My Life with world champion Tim Witherspoon. Keep listening to TalkSport. Plenty more boxing stories on the way for you. Until next time, from Spencer and myself, it's goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.